Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we talk with people around the world who can help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos Podcast is for those who want self-help resources and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. In this episode of Calming the Chaos, I'm going to be talking about what's on a lot of people's minds out there. And that happens to be a huge distraction from what's going on in the world, but kind of has the same themes. And that would be the trial that's been going on between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Now, I'm not here to talk about it from any sort of legal standpoint. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. And as you heard in the description, this is not for diagnosing. It's just for being able to present some opinions that I've seen going on. And so um, at first, I want to just thank everybody for subscribing. I never thought I would have over 300 subscribers. So this is fantastic. And uh, also just thank you for your comments along the way. This is a solo episode, although I might have a guest come up. I did invite one person. And so I hope you enjoy what I have to say. It's sort of to give your mind a little bit of a break from all of the legalese, although I love that. I love watching the court cases. And I've actually linked below in the description of this video to some of the legal channels that I enjoy watching. All of them have a different flavor and a style and the commentary uh, varies between the channels, but I've enjoyed all of them. And I've also listed some mental health counselors who have been commenting on Johnny and Amber. And I'm going to just tell you why this topic is so important to me is because I see so many different themes that are relatable to people who come into my office every day. I have seen, especially since the pandemic has started, that people come in mainly with complaints about other people, which also means that they have complaints about themselves too, and how they relate to other people. And a lot of it does have to do with the overarching theme of this trial in particular, which is a domestic abuse or abuse in generally. So what we're going to start out with is what I've been seeing in general on what I call law tube, the lawyers who like to come in and uh, they watch the court cases and they comment and they present their expertise and they present some humor and just some little tidbits that are so interesting to listen to. So what I've been seeing online and then how I sort of look at things in terms of general themes that we can see and put together. I even geeked out a little bit and did a genogram of both Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Didn't really go very far because there was not a whole lot of time and there wasn't a lot of information, but it was interesting what I was able to find. And then what we're going to go into after that is going to be, you know, what can we do about this? What can we do? instead of what we've been doing. Uh, can we learn to look 
beyond the the little um, trails that we go down and these little details, although they are important, but can we learn to step back just a little bit, give our brains a rest and talk about some of these general themes that we're seeing and some ways that we can prevent and treat some of these uh, conditions that are being mentioned uh, in, in this trial. So uh, it should be fun, I hope. And I hope that uh, you'll stay here with me. And uh, I typically have a pretty low uh, audience viewership level. So I figure whoever shows up, shows up. I'm not going to be looking at the chat because there's usually nobody in chat. Uh, but uh, if you do have a question, I'll look and see if you're there and you have it. And um, I will just uh, see where that goes. All right. So here's where I'm going to start. Law tube. Oh my goodness. So YouTube has, again, this great ability to be able to stream the court cases and have these attorneys in the background, and they are just commenting away. One in particular came in this week, uh, and her name was Dr. Shannon Curry. So she is a clinical psychologist, and actually I think she has a PsyD very well qualified. She does this for a living. She she does all of this analysis and then she goes and she's an expert witness. So uh, Johnny Depp did hire her uh, for that this the purposes of evaluating Amber Heard. And so this brought me to a lot of thoughts. In fact, it was funny because I had reached out to two of my favorite uh, legal channels and said, hey, do you want a mental health perspective about all of this stuff? And then boom, the next day, this psychologist comes on the stand. And uh, it was great. So they don't need me. But you know what, I'm still going to say what I have to say, because I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail. I'm going to keep it a little lighter and also just hopefully give you some of my opinions. So boy, this woman had such a wonderful presentation. Uh, she was so clear, knowledgeable. She had uh, lots of years of experience. She's had 15 years of experience. And uh, so I've been in private practice for 13 years and I've been a counselor for 20. Uh, so not as much as her, plus my education level. I'm just a master's level licensed mental health care therapist here in Olympia, Washington. But uh, her diagnosis of Amber Heard just broke my heart. <laughs> I mean, it really did, especially because it's not easy to be in a trial like this, have your whole life be out there. Now, granted, they're celebrities, so they got themselves into this. Uh, and yet, gosh, to, to hear uh, a diagnosis uh, such as two personality disorders where I think, I mean, I, I, I am not going to take sides. That's another thing I'd like to be able to say just right off the top. I'm not going to give any diagnosis. I'm not going to take any sides. I happen to love Johnny Depp's movies. I don't think I've ever seen a Johnny Depp movie I didn't like. And so I'm a huge fan. And so I think in my non-therapist brain, I'm skewed a little bit more toward him. But it broke my heart when she diagnosed uh, Amber Heard with both borderline personality disorder and histrionic uh, personality disorder. And I think partly is because so the way I was trained as a therapist is to be able to do rule outs. 
So what you do is you consider everything that's going on. And I'm sure that this, uh, Dr. Curry did do some rule outs and uh, the rule outs being that, uh, okay, so we consider everything that's going on. And we know that there was a lot of substance abuse, substance use. And uh, so the use of substance and the abuse of substances I think should have been evaluated. If, if, it, if they were, then it wasn't presented in court. But that makes a huge difference, right? Because a personality disorder can be there. But when you're under the influence of substances, such as ecstasy, MDMA, ecstasy, a cocaine, uh, marijuana, alcohol, I'm trying to remember all of them, plus some prescription medication, I believe, for bipolar disorder. You do have that ability to be intoxicated and it can present in the form of a personality disorder. And now for those of you who have listened to the YouTube version of this podcast, I had said that uh, Amber Heard was going to give birth in May of 2021 to her child and that maybe a substance abuse evaluation had not been done at that time because she was pregnant, but actually she got a surrogate to deliver her uh, baby. And so, yes, I do firmly believe that a substance abuse evaluation should have been done because she was able to actually what we should have done is got her clean and then evaluated her for a personality disorder. But I think just a thoughtful analysis of of substance abuse maybe should have been done and or presented in court. Like we ruled that out. We ruled that out. It was not an option for her to have that uh, intoxication or abuse of substances. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention, the, uh, the doctor, Dr. Curry mentioned the Minnesota multiphasic uh, uh, inventory, personality inventory, the MMPI. Uh, version two, which is the most highly researched. And uh, it has so many different validity scales. It has like eight or nine, 10 validity scales. I even have this book I drug out from grad school. I mean, this whole book is dedicated to interpreting the MMPI two. And we learned about that in our uh, assessment class when I was in my, um, my graduate studies in uh, psychology. And what I wanted to say about the MMPI too, is that she, she pulls this out and uh, yeah, so it's really highly normed. It's really, it's got a lie scale. It can tell if you're faking answers. It can tell if you're malingering. It can tell if you continue to put the same answers down or if it's random, it's really super highly researched and normed and, uh, and it doesn't tell everything. Uh, so quick story time here. I'm in graduate school and we're in the assessment class and we all got the option to take the MMPI. Now, this is the test also that they give police officers in order to screen them in and out of the field. And I knew this. And so it was about halfway through my graduate school studies. And I said, 
well, if I'm going to be a counselor, I'm going to need to know if there's any underlying pathology. And of course, you know, when we go through and I'll show you the book, I'll show you the book that I used when I was in grad school. So this, this was the DSM-4 TR. And I, I was so geeked out about this book. I even put tabs on all of the disorders. So there you go. I was really super into figuring out how to diagnose and treat people. And when you go through something like the DSM-4 TR back when I was in grad school, you kind of think, wow, do I have a personality disorder? Because you see these kind of themes like, well, yeah, sometimes I do that. Yeah, sometimes I just fly off the handle for no reason, or sometimes I do these things. And so what I really wanted to know is, am I supposed to be in the field of counseling? Because if I'm going to be a counselor, I'm going to want to know everything. And so we got the chance to take the MMPI. It wasn't mandatory, uh, but we did get the choice to do it. And I said, sign me up because I want to know everything. And I'm going to be completely, brutally honest on this test that I took. And so this is the test that Dr. Curry gave uh, to Amber Heard. So it is a series of, a, well, I have it right here so I can tell. 567 yes or no answers. And I'll go ahead and show on, on screen what it looks like. I'm not gonna, I can't show you the test because officially it is a confidential test. Uh, but this is the MMPI-2 interpretive report, which uh, it, I guess the one that Dr. Curry gave to Amber Heard was she wrote a 25-page analysis. This, it tells you all the scales and everything, but there's only probably about 10 pages, the last page of which tells all of my answers to all of the questions which I found fascinating. <laughs> so, wow, that's how I answered that question. So uh, I'll give you an example of some of the questions in, in a little bit. Uh, but what I really uh, saw there was like, it just drove me back down memory lane because I had a bit of a traumatic experience with the MMPI. Well, so here I am thinking I'm going to go in there and I know that this is a highly detectable, like it can tell if I tell a lie. So I'm going to tell the absolute truth. And so I get my test back because what you have to do is you have to sit in a room and you answer all these questions. And then it's sent to, back then it was sent back to Minnesota or someplace where it could be uh, electronically graded. There was not a, the therapist or there wasn't a therapist to interpret it. There was a generalized report about what the responses were in general meaning. Uh, and uh, so I looked at it and I had been in the middle of this assessment class and I finally got my report back and I was so excited. I was like, wow, everything's, everything's in the normal range except for this one part <laughs> and the one scale that was off for my MMPI that was considered clinical was paranoia. And so I started to do some research into the paranoia scale and so again, this was back in, I was 39 years old. And so it was, it was back in 2005. So almost 20 years ago, right? Uh, if I can do math, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Uh, and it was interesting because the report doesn't take anything into context at all. Um, so 
at the at the time, there was some things going on in my life that uh, I probably would answer differently now, especially since I'm older. But I, it was brutal because of that one spike. It affected so much, and I thought, "This isn't me. This interpretation that they gave is not me. It really wasn't." Now. Just like when I went through the DSM when I was a graduate school student, I started seeing like themes in myself. Yeah, of course this 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 is not um, you know a piece of crap report. And in, in fact, I think it costs quite a bit of money. I think it costs like fifty bucks to take it. But anyway, and for a graduate school student, that's quite a bit of money. And so with with that, um, I was not diagnosed with a personality disorder, but let me tell you what the report did say. The report, by, by telling me who I was, which I really wasn't, said that there was a diagnostic consideration that perhaps paranoid, paranoid personality disorder could be considered. And I was like, oh no, a personality disorder? Oh my gosh. Like, I can't go into counseling. I can't go into, I can't go into psychotherapy. I've, I've got that. So I sort of freaked out a little bit. And then I contacted, after I got my wits about me, I contacted two people, a licensed psychologist in Olympia, who is also one of my professors in my undergrad program, Dr. Mark Hurst. And I showed him the report. Now he knew me not only as a student, but uh, we had actually spent some time talking together after class. And then also I'd gone to his office. We'd talked about a research paper I'd been doing at the time. And, uh, and so he knew me as a person too. So he looked at the report and he said, he said something that has stuck with me for years. He said, Tracy, don't you think that it's reasonable that a person who is working a full-time job on the, on the billable hour as a voc rehab counselor and going to graduate school, don't you think they'd be a little paranoid? And I said, huh. And that was my first exposure to seeing things in context. So while I do believe the MMPI can be true, and that the diagnosis that the two personality diagnoses that were presented to, to Amber Heard uh, were right in there. Uh, one, uh, how difficult that must have been for her, not only to be in the courtroom to hear that, but also to have had this whole, you know, two big personality disorders, cluster B personality disorders. Hey, at least paranoid personality disorder, it falls under cluster A, which is the more avoidant. I mean, it's not like it's great to have paranoid personality disorder, but my gosh, I don't even own a firearm. And after Mark Hurst had uh, evaluated my MMPI, I actually took it to my own personal therapist, Jody Ferguson, who I'd been working with since I had developed some burnout at, as a voc rehab counselor. So I had been working with her. And then, you know, part of my graduate studies at, 
at Chapman University was to be able to do my own therapeutic work. So I continued to work with her and she treated me through my eating disorder and how I relapsed uh, through graduate school. And when I got this MMPI, I just said, Jody, like, help me here. <laughs> like, could you please, you know me, like, can you please tell me, do I need to be in the field of counseling? And she looked at it and she just said the same thing that Mark said. Listen, you've got to take all this stuff into context. This is not you. This is a report that tells some things about you, but it doesn't tell us who you really are. The people who know you and the people who have talked to you and the people who have spent time with you know who you are. And that was so valuable to me. And I would just really like to offer that up to Amber right now if she is facing these diagnoses. She is more than her diagnoses. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Mark, for helping me through that time because I don't know if I didn't have you two, I don't know if I would have ever become a counselor. And then, so just for giggles, my husband and I uh, looked at the, uh, the definition, the criteria that you're supposed to meet for paranoid personality disorder. And we had some fun with it. Um, so like, I pretty much think that maybe Amber Heard might get, this is the DSM-5. So this is the most recent diagnostic manual that's put out by the uh, American um, Psychiatrics Association. So anyway, uh, so we've got seven criteria and you have to meet four or more, right? So we had some fun going through all of them. And we figured out one for sure. <laughs> and I'll read out that one. Uh, let's see. There was a maybe on one. And the rest was there was no way. Um, so the one we th <laughs> the one we thought about and argued about because he he my husband knows me. He's known me for we've been married for nearly 25 years. I believe we've known each other for 25 years. So he knows me. So the, the very first criteria is suspects without sufficient basis that others are exploiting, harming, or deceiving him or her. And we both looked at each other and I was like, does that include the IRS? <laughs> does that include the Employment Security Department? <laughs> does that include all these tax agencies that I, I get all fired up about? And he was like, yeah, I think we need to mark that one as, as down, right? You know. Um, so the other ones... Uh, and you can read through these yourself. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time and I don't, definitely don't want to talk about uh, myself, but I would have to say that, uh, that if Amber has a copy of the DSM and she's going through borderline and histrionic uh, personality disorders, uh, it, she may be able to say, yeah, you know, it, it totally, totally makes sense uh, that, uh, that maybe it was taken out of context. So that's, that's part of it. Another part of the MMPI I found really interesting, and in fact, I just had to dig this out. I haven't looked at it in years, but I knew it was, was in the uh, garage, was these critical items sections. So these are the ones that, that raise red flags, if you will. And so here is a really good lesson for people to be able to put things in context when they see reports like this or when they're presented in court. 
uh, just understand that there could be underlying circumstances that uh, the the MMPI could have indicated borderline and histrionic personality disorder for Amber Heard. Uh, and then we saw, we heard the tapes. Uh, we 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 saw some of the text messages that Johnny and her were exchanging. And uh, now we don't have a diagnosis yet for for Johnny, uh, but they better look at the substance part anyway. That was a little deviation. But back to the critical items or red flags. So I want to I want to show you guys how to keep these things in context. All right. So the first critical item was the acute anxiety state. So out of 17 possible items in section, in this section, five were endorsed. Okay, so remember, this was back in 2005 that I took this test. One, I have a good appetite. My answer was false. I had anorexia nervosa at the time. Yeah, it was kind of embarrassing because I relapsed into it when I was in grad school. And uh, that's a restrictive eating disorder where when you restrict your food intake, uh, you lose your appetite. So no, I did not have a good appetite. So somehow that was a red flag. Two, I wake up fresh and restored most mornings. I answered false. Gee, I wonder why. I'm in graduate school and I have a full-time job on the billable hour. Hmm. All right. Another one, I work under a great deal of tension. That is true. So I don't know if any of y'all have ever worked on the billable hour before, but typically what happens is every increment, uh, we worked in six minute increments, every increment of time is recorded. And then at the end of the day, you have to bill those hours and it is highly stressful. And then on top of it, being a voc rehab counselor, you had to have a certain amount of hours every month to keep your job. Plus there was incentives. If you went over and above, you would make more money. So yeah, I did. Plus I worked with injured workers, people who had physical disabilities and all of this stuff. So that, that was uh, true, true for me then. I don't know why it's a red flag, right? See it in context. Uh, my sleep is fitful and disturbed. And I answered, True. Well, one reason is because my husband really snores loud. And another was because I was going through perimenopause and I was getting hot flashes. I was 39. I went through kind of an early perimenopause. Plus, when you have uh, anorexia, you don't sleep too well. <laughs> Why? Because your hunger wakes you up and or something wakes you up that is physical in your body. And the other one. I believe I am no more nervous than most others. So in essence, uh, I, I believe that I am more nervous than others or no more, no more. I believe I am no more. This is a trick question. I'm even getting confused right now looking at it. I believe I am no more nervous than most others. And I answered false because I do believe I am more nervous than most others um, because I do have anxiety. I've always had anxiety and uh, that's not a secret. So, all right. Another way to keep this in context was this other red flag here, depressed suicidal ideation. Uh, the question 273, which was life is a strain for me much of the time. True. It was hard having a full-time job, working the billable hour and being a graduate school student in psychology and having a husband and a cat who woke me up every morning. Um, I, 
485. I often feel that I am not as good as other people. And that was true. Uh, low self-esteem. Okay. Who doesn't have that at time to time? Ugh, my gosh. Context, guys. Context. And then there was, uh, oh, these, this is where this gets interesting. You guys are probably pretty bored though, but it's going to be aired on a podcast anyway. So um, we're just doing this so that I don't have to do a whole lot of editing <laughs> just to save time. I have used alcohol excessively. True. Uh, yeah, I have. And I don't know that I'd really want to know anyone who hasn't. <laughs> That's just me. I just like fun people. Uh, so I have. And I was completely, again, completely unabashedly honest about that. And apparently that was a red flag. Uh, let's see. Persecutory ideas. Uh, question 124. I often wonder what hidden reason another person may have for doing something nice for me. Now, that is true. I do tend to be suspicious of that. That's because there was a, you know, a history of people not doing very nice things. Uh, so I'm a little suspicious of that. I, I would probably still answer true. I, well, I wouldn't say often now. I would probably answer that false now because I don't often wonder, but back then I did. Uh, and then there was, um, oh, this one, antisocial attitudes. Sometimes when I was young, I stole things. True. And it started at age five when I took a little cute little perfume bottle that my brother had found off in the uh, wilderness of where we lived in Concord, California at the time. And I said, I had found it. And my brother said, wait a minute, that's mine. And I said, no, it's mine. I found it. I have, I also, I also would take some change from his, he had this little container that was a, in a shape of a walnut. I would take some change out of his, uh, his nut, his nut money, I used to call it. And I used to take some change out of his nut money to buy cigarettes. Okay. So, so there you have it. So bad of a person. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Somatic symptoms. Once a week or oftener, I suddenly feel hot all over. Perimenopause, right? I've never had a fainting spell. False. Anorexia. I do not often notice my ear ringing or buzzing. False. I have tinnitus. I have hyperacuity, apparently, in my ears, and I'm very sensitive to sound. And the last one, I feel tired. A good lot of the time, my answer was true. All of that to say that you don't know what's going on with Amber. She still hasn't said her part of the story. I asked my friend, my, my friend Mari, and I were talking about the case uh, the other day. And she said, you are so team Johnny. You are so team Johnny. I was like, no, I'm not team anyone. I'm not, I'm not. But I want everybody to know that there's got to be a context. And usually the context is going to be uh, you know, going to be a traumatical related. If, if these diagnoses are true, and I respect Dr. Curry's uh, expertise, I I know the test is, although this one gave me a pretty brutal, uh, you know, sort of a review, I know that it's true, that it's, um, it's not true. It's not all true. There is a person behind this thing. And I think I just want you guys to to understand that. I was trying to go on a, a panel. It was about this time last year and uh, talked to uh, 
one of these creators uh, on a true crime channel just about this. Like, can we can we talk about these in general themes without actually getting into uh, specifics or like what it could have been? Uh, because I just really think that we don't know the full story. And so maybe that was uh, 33 minutes of me just trying to drive that home. But yeah. Um, Plus, I wanted to say that uh, I've worked with people who have borderline personality disorder, not so much history on it, because that's not diagnosed very often anymore. Uh, but I've never seen the two in combination. I've seen some pretty much like piling on of pathology of people, like looking at people's past reports from other psychiatrists, psychologists and stuff. But I want to say that if she does have borderline personality disorder, there's help for that. And I'll go into that in a little bit. Uh, but it is a very painful, painful emotional experience to have that disorder. And so if, if you can have some compassion, if she actually does have that disorder, have some compassion, does not excuse any abusive uh, behaviors. But uh, you, you really need to know that person is experiencing quite a bit of pain because I've seen it so many times on my own couch in my office. And so... Yeah, <sighs> we do need the DSM for diagnostic purposes to figure out a treatment plan and for insurance building, billing. We really do need the diagnosis. And remember, there's a person behind that diagnosis. There's always a person and they're never, uh, they're never the same person. And you can't just fit all these people into a cookie cutter. And, and I respect the MMPI, I really do. So here are some of the general themes that I have been seeing uh, with regards to this, this trial. And I think the very first thing that popped out at me is abuse. So there's been all kinds of abuse and we're talking about both have had childhood abuse, emotional abuse. You can hear the tapes. There's substance abuse. There's self-admitted substance abuse. There's, there's text messaging abuse. If that's even a thing, that would be written abuse. Um, physical abuse from family members. At least Johnny has testified to that. I don't know what Amber's story is yet. There's uh, maybe abuse of power. There's definitely money and possibly even abuse of the legal system. Because look at all of the time and the money and they've all the both of them have got like six attorneys and, and all of these depositions and all of these witnesses. Abuse is something that I feel very strongly about is because it happens and sometimes people don't even understand the, the damage that it can, can do. And so there's all kinds of uh, things that you, I mean, there's all kinds of emotions that you can experience that can result in abuse and most likely, well, anger comes to mind, right? Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but anger is a valid emotion, just like everybody else. It's the behavior that you actually have when you have the anger that is going to make the difference for you. So the rules of anger typically are don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt anyone else. Don't damage any property. Uh, don't get arrested, right? Those are four don'ts. These are the things you shouldn't do when you're angry but yelling into a pillow. Now, verbal abuse comes up, you know, quite a bit uh, with regard to how they interact as a couple. And uh, sometimes we do name calling. 
I would like to also call attention to some of these legal channels that are, uh, they have these chats and they're not moderated because they, they believe in free speech as they should. But, oh my gosh, the brutality in some of these chats. Uh, I, I had done a, uh, I think it was last year, a podcast about uh, online abuse. And I did a live stream, I believe, too. If I can find them, I'll link to them below. But when you are in this heightened state of emotion, you will go sometimes into shock, right? And what I see happening when I listen to these tapes is, you know, shock being fight, flight, or freeze. These are the things we do to keep ourselves safe when there's danger or perceived danger, right? So fight or flight being those reactive ones, those are the, the sympathetic uh, responses, uh, sympathetic uh, shock. And then we got the parasympathetic, which is para, paralyzed, which is freeze, right? And I think that um, we have the uh, distancer pursuer effect and they're both in shock. You can really tell that they're both in shock. Activated and inactivated uh, distancer, I'm trying to get away from you. Pursuer, I'm trying to get close to you sort of thing can throw everything off and can escalate. I've seen couples in my sessions trigger each other so bad that they start here and then there's there and then there's there and then they get up to here and it's just amazing how it can accelerate like a kitchen fire to a house fire right so and all of this is about status and reputation there's another really main theme that i see and yet how does this look to have your whole personal life be in court it must be so difficult uh, there's there's the money part of it and the dollars and cents part of it that uh, I think is a lot of psychology I've seen with money uh, that is really fascinating to go into. And so these are the general themes I'm seeing in psychologicals, uh, just the psychological observation of, of these, uh, these two in court and some of the evidence that's been uh, presented. There's trust, major trust issues, secrets, lies, manipulation, all of these things. And they're all abuse. They're, I mean, they're all abusive. There's And there's so much damage. And so I wanted to, to go over those themes so that you know that there's not just the the, um, well, we got to find out the exact truth. Well, we, we kind of do, but we can also look at it in terms of general themes without saying, you know, calling Amber a name or, or glorifying Johnny or calling Johnny a name and glorifying Amber or whatever we're going to do with them. But what we can say is, yeah, I see that might be the distancer pursuer effect. I think that was developed by, uh, John Gottman or uh, uh, Harriet Lerner, somebody like that. And, and so when, when I, I go away, you come closer. When I go away, you come closer. There's the distance or pursuer effect. Or I can say, uh, well, it looks, looks like she's going into shock right now. I can tell because her voice pitch is going up, this and that and the other thing without calling her a shrew or a name. Uh, I am really against name calling, by the way. You know, those of you who know me know that that is true for me. Okay, so I need to take a break, a little bit of a break, and I don't even know if anybody's in my chat. I Oh, I have a couple of comments from Rabbit Dog. Hey, Rabbit. <laughs> he feels quite ignorant of the case. 
Yeah, other than you like Johnny Depp too. Absolutely. It'd be good if you're still in the chat, uh, Rabbit, if you could tell me what is your favorite Johnny Depp movie. Um, I was really surprised when Johnny Depp said his, uh, when he first transitioned into, from being a musician type to an actor, uh, his first really serious role that he really thought, hey, I can really do this was Platoon. And I thought, wow, that movie, I've seen it a couple of times, but I had no idea he was even in that movie. The one I think of is Edward Scissorhands. I think that was the first, and Benny and June, you know, when he was just sort of quirky and, and all that stuff. And then I realized one of my favorite books is The Shining by Stephen King. And we had watched a couple of different versions of The Shining, and then they had a new one on where I guess... Amber Heard was playing Nadine, who is the uh, the bad person uh, in uh, in the one that goes to the dark side. And um, and now I want to see it over again because I want to see her acting ability because I have not seen Aquaman, I've not seen any of her other movies. And uh, so anyway, yeah. Um, so thanks for joining me, Rabbit. <laughs> And you're welcome to come up on stream if you want to. Uh, I'm just going to be talking about some preventative stuff and not rambling on too long because, you know, the weather, actually, it was nice and it's turning a little bit. I really wanted to get out into the in, into the garden today. Uh, I still might, but anyway. Uh, let's see, Libertine. All right. The Libertine. Yeah, I didn't even know about the Rum Diaries, and I guess that's where he met Amber Heard. And uh, so I'll have to check that one out as well. I wonder why you like it. We can talk about that maybe. All right. Where do I want to go next? Questions about the MMPI? Oh, there's this other thing I wanted to say too. Um, I thought this was kind of funny. Just, just on the tail end of assessments, um, I took what's called the Campbell Skills and Interests Survey. Like I say, I was really super, super concerned about where my career was headed because at the time I had spent 12 years in the corporate world. I was pretty sick of it. I was doing HR, accounting, payroll, all that stuff. And I just really needed a career switch. And so when I was in my uh, undergrad program at Evergreen State College, you see this is a 2002. So that was right before I graduated with my four-year degree. I like to joke that it took me uh, 20 years to get a four-year degree, but it's not a joke. It actually did take me 20 years to get that degree. <laughs> um, but I wanted to uh, display that there's there's a lot of really helpful information and this is this I would recommend anybody taking this assessment. I thought it was completely helpful. But one of the the only the only place I'm going to go out on a tangent here, it tells you the careers that you should avoid, explore, pursue and develop. And I'm looking at all this stuff when I pulled it out the other day and I said, huh, there's no avoids. And I was like, oh, yeah, there is. I am supposed to avoid Mechanical crafts and woodworking. Avoid. Avoid being a test pilot. Okay, I can get that. Avoid being a carpenter or an electrician. Hmm, good to know. Airline mechanic, landscape architect. Oh, that makes sense. I cannot see in three dimensions. It is so hard for me to do that. Architect, mechanical crafts, and again, woodworking. So 
something like this is going to be helpful for you to uh, be able to know what you're going to pursue. If you are confused about your career, these assessments are, are really good. And the MMPI, again, like you say, it's, it's, it's a very highly normed. In fact, let me see if I can share the screen with you, see if I can do this here and show you some of the questions that are on the MMPI. All right, well, you may not be able to read this, uh, but <laughs> the very first question here, I'll just have to go, go off on this little tangent here. I like mechanics magazines. Like what the actual F? I like mechanics magazines. Well, maybe you do. Maybe that's a red flag. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, there's number two. I have a good appetite, right? Um, let's see. I am bothered by an upset stomach several times a week. So that they get kind of specific here. Um, oh, here's 23. At times I have fits of laughing and crying that I cannot control. Mm-hmm. I would like to be a singer, 25. What did I answer to 25? You know what the cool thing is, is I can look up my report because at the end, it tells you all of your responses. So number 25, I answered one. Yes, I would like to be a singer. And guess what? I can sing and I do. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, there's some about depression. You can tell. I usually feel that life is worthwhile, you know, and People who don't want to fake depression would probably say no, but people, but they would detect that, right? They would detect, okay, well, they're not consistent in your, in their answers. And uh, so, so it would come up on the, on the inconsistency scales that they have built into the MMPI, which again, makes it really super researched and normed and all that other stuff. Let's see if we can find another. Well, okay, so this is a subjective one. Number 121, I have never indulged in unusual sex practices. Okay, so what is an unusual sex practice? And I'm kind of a little bit afraid <laughs> afraid to see what my response is to this one, but, but it's so subjective. This is probably one of the ones that I just sort of labored over. This is why it takes, well, it took me about two hours to do this test. Uh, because as I say, there's 567 yes or no questions. It was exhausting. So that was what, 121? And it was, I have never. So if I have never, I would say yes. And if I have, then I would say no. 121, 121, where are you? I said one, I have never. Because I consider unusual sex practices as, you know, like... um. Oh gosh, I don't even know if I can say these things on YouTube, but they're things I have never done. Number 28, I like to cook. So my husband would have probably answered yes to that. I am pretty sure without even checking, I would put no. So it goes through all of these different, um, there is one and I don't know which one, but I do remember uh, somebody is trying to rob me, right? And I thought that was so silly. If I, if I put yes on that one, maybe, maybe somebody actually was trying to rob me. Maybe my house had just gotten robbed or I knew somebody was going to try and, and steal from me, right? So if you like, I can put the link to this uh, below, uh, this, this website that has all of these wacky questions. Of course, if you really want to take the MMPI, 
you can do it. Uh, you, you could probably do it and pay some money for it and get it graded and all that other stuff and get your own score. All right, looks like I got another comment here. Do I think Depp will win this case? Well, that's more of a legal question, but I'll tell you what I think is that he seems to have the court of public opinion right now. And uh, it, because people seem to be, public opinion being what I'm seeing in chat is they're villainizing her uh, and they're idolizing him. And uh, so the jury's supposed to be impartial. But uh, Mr. Depp has some problems. Uh, he has some he has some substance abuse problems, and uh, the we don't know what the defense is going to come up with as far as his mental health diagnosis. And I, you know, as far as if he's going to have to prove directly that her op-ed that she wrote for the Washington Post directly impacted his career, which my like logical mind says, you know, he's going to have to get maybe a letter from Disney and uh, what's the other company? Oh my gosh. It wasn't Marvel. It was Warner brothers, I believe. Right. Saying dear Mr. Depp, because of the recent press that you have had uh, with regards to Ms. Hurd's op-ed, we are deciding not to uh, have you continue with Pirates 6 and or we are not going to allow you to uh, participate in the contract for Incredible Beasts and where to find them, right? And, or something, it didn't doesn't really even have to be that specific, but it's going to have to say this, your thing that you did, Ms. Hurd, actually negatively impacted my career. Um, this leads me on a little bit of a side tangent about money and uh, the theme of money that comes up in this case that Mr. Depp had quite a bit of it and yet had a lot of financial problems too. <laughs> like he didn't know how to manage it, but he had somebody managing it, but he still got himself into a lot of trouble with it. Most of us could say, oh my gosh, I got a million bucks, I can retire, right? Uh, but not, you know, he's got millions and millions and millions. So yeah, he wants to clear his reputation. I totally agree, especially if, if he didn't hit her, right? If he didn't, but there's clearly a domestic abuse going on with both of them. And you can tell that. And I do know that from the psychological perspective and from listening to the recordings, so court of public opinion probably has a depth back. I cannot wait to hear her side of the story though, uh, because uh, we don't know how he provoked her. Uh, not like it's ever right to hit anybody, but we don't know how he provoked her or how difficult it was for her to live with him. Uh, it'd be just so interesting. This is why I find this case so fascinating is because there's so many nuances, so many different things that are gradually unfolding, like that series and Netflix that you really um, just can't get enough of, or you want to binge watch it, you know, uh, I feel like that is what, so sort of a non-answer rabid and, you know, maybe a safe answer. But yeah, he's going to have to prove that her actions and that op-ed are going to directly affect uh, the uh, the ability of him getting more work in the future or those contracts that he had, the Pirate 6 and the Incredible Beasts. Yeah, and you agree with me about the public opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh. All right. 
Okay. Well, I'm just going to move on real quick and, and just see, like, so if it's bad to judge people and call them names and call them like, uh, you know, Amber Turd, you know, which I've seen a lot or hashtag Amber Turd or whatever. I mean, if it's not great to do that, you know, people might chuckle about it and say, ha ah, ha you know, did she really crap the bed and all this other stuff? Um, you know, and you could laugh at Johnny on the stand saying, oh, she, you know, she left a, what did he say? A little naughty or something. <laughs> I forget what he said. Grumpy, <laughs> he said. She left a grumpy on the bed. <laughs> like, who calls it that? <laughs> okay, we can see all these things and we can laugh about it. And we can, but what can we really do? I mean, because the problem here in my mind is abuse. And abuse being, I actually have my handy dandy Webster, Oxford, sorry, Oxford American Dictionary with me. Um, under absurd. <laughs> which there might be some of that going on in this trial and in this podcast right now. Uh, we look at abuse, which is misuse, an unjust or corrupt practice, abusive words, insults, to make a bad or wrong use of, such as abusing one's authority or power, to treat one badly, to attack in words, to utter insults to or about. I can say it's pretty clear both of them have been abusive to each other. Yeah. To what extent did it extend to physical abuse? Well, there was Amber on tape admitting that she was hitting him. So, you know, she's going to have to explain that on uh, on her director, her cross-examinations in the week to come, weeks to come, because we're only halfway through, right? It's supposed to last six weeks, and we're only through week three right now. But, uh, but the problem being abuse, what can we do instead? You know, and we all have judgments. They are, there's something that we, we have to do, right? We make judgments. Uh, if I am walking down the street and I think, you know what? I know a shortcut to get to the restaurant I really like, but it entails me going down this alley. It's dark and there's these two guys and it looks like one of them might have a knife or a gun. I'm probably going to make the judgment to go around the corner instead of cut through the alley, right? So these judgments are here to help us. And when we judge people or ourselves or whatever so harshly all the time, the damage it can do, please try and give understanding uh, and try and explain things in a way that is objective. And then the second thing we can be aware of is, like I said before, the diagnosis, even if Amber does have these two diagnoses, uh, she is more than her diagnosis and there is a treatment for her if she chooses to get it. And, uh, and oh, by the way, uh, getting back to the MMPI, I got to say this one thing. It's just so funny. It's so funny because so many things about this, this report are false. Um, it says, individuals with this profile type tend not to seek psychological help but more often submit to it at the request or insistence of others. So I want to say something about that because uh, back in 1990, when I was in my first marriage, I went through marriage counseling by myself. I've been in counseling for as long as I could afford it. I'm still in counseling to this day because I think it's a therapist's duty 
uh, obligation ethically to take care of their own issues and to continue to take care of their own issues because we are humans and we uh, we have human problems, right? And we want to be our best selves so that when we sit on the other ed- edge of that couch with that with that client over there, of course, now it's like eight feet away <laughs> or it's through Zoom or whatever, um, that we are our best selves. Uh, so people are not their diagnoses. So some mental health counselors do have diagnoses. Like, you know, uh, fortunately for me, I was able to uh, recover fairly quickly from the second anorexia diagnosis I had. So by the time I entered the field, uh, I had no, pro- no more problems with food and eating and I don't have them to this day. Um, in fact, I'm going to be ravenously hungry after this live stream because I didn't eat anything beforehand because I was a little nervous. I know as soon as it's over, I'm going to need something to eat. So remember that people are more than their diagnosis. Okay, please don't shame these people, please. Um, And then there might be somebody out there with borderline and histrionic, whatever diagnosed personality disorder, and they're, they're seeing all this crap that Amber's getting and they might feel ashamed. So please remember that people are more than their diagnoses. And again, how does this make sense? Can we see it in context? Can we see how it makes sense that a person maybe has this diagnosis in the first place? Understand that there could be trauma and personality disorders start very young in life. Uh, So early childhood experiences that can affect you and they usually become set in your mind around the teen years. We don't typically, we, we don't typically Typically, I don't know if anybody does. I would never diagnose a teenager with any personality disorder until it's actually fixed, maybe in the 20s, and definitely, definitely not a five-year-old. But you can see signs of development early on, and you can um, you can prevent and treat those things. So, another thing we can do is understand how difficult it must be for a person with a personality disorder just to just to be in this world, to be so hair trigger reactive and to, you know, go through so many relationships, to be hostile, to get in trouble with the law, understand how difficult that must be for that person. And know that there's uh, always the other side of the story. I keep telling myself that with this whole court trial, it's like, we'll get to hear her side, we'll get to hear her side. I do have to say, though, she's keeping herself quite composed for if she was a true borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disordered person. Um, don't you think she would be a little bit more reactive and, you know, unhinged or I don't know. She's holding herself together pretty well, I would say. Although the behavioral analysts are, are, are picking up a couple of cues, but you know, I'm sure they could watch my video and pick up on some, some cues, right? I, there's always something. And I think it was my mother-in-law who said it so wisely Uh, believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. Well, yeah, and I'm thinking about the text messages and the recordings that Amber and Johnny did. And uh, I'm thinking there's got to be a context. And last, what we can do is we can understand that people can change, develop insight and they can grow. I've certainly seen people, uh, and especially people with borderline personality disorder, develop insight. 
uh, they're the one of the most they're, they're that personality disorder is I've seen the most insight in uh, narcissists, uh, nar narcissistic personality disorder, uh, not so much, uh, because they just don't think that there's anything wrong with them. So they don't have that insight. They're typically going to present for therapy if a family member requests it, or if they're in trouble with the law or something like that, that's going to show up. But, uh, but at least we know. And there's these, these things that you can do. Uh, let's see if I, let's see if I can do this here. I think I put some banners in here. No, I didn't, but I will put it in the notes, um, how to treat these disorders. Um, but, but I think what we can all do is set an intention not to be abusive to people. And I'm going to have to put parents on the spot here. I'm not a parent myself for, um, you know, not for this reason, for many reasons, but it does start with parents. Please parents do not abuse your kids. Set an intention not to be abusive. And if something comes out of your mouth, make a repair, make a repair with your kid. Boy, that makes such, that makes such an impression on that little one. Like, Oh, this teaches me how to act. Like even if a word flies out of my mouth or if, the, if there's a name called or something, because we're bound to make mistakes as parents, right? <laughs> Especially parents with, you know, this is my first kid. This is my first rodeo sort of thing. Um, if we set an intention as parents not to be abusive and something abusive happens, then we make a repair and we teach our kids how to make a repair when you mess up, right? And another thing we can do is set and keep good boundaries. So if you are being abused, if you are being abused at all, you actually can set a boundary. You can leave the room. In fact, I have the National Domestic Violence Hotline number here. If anybody is experiencing domestic abuse or violence, the number is 1-800-799-7233. For those of you who are listening in on the podcast, uh, definitely write that number down if you are experiencing a domestic abuse uh, at any time. So there's something that you can do. Keep good boundaries. Remember the rules of anger, as I said before, don't hurt yourself, don't hurt somebody else, don't break the law, don't damage property, right? One thing that go, can go really far is validation. Like it makes sense that you're feeling this way. That's all you gotta do to de-escalate some, somebody sometimes. Like, oh, I totally get that. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, and they're not as hostile towards you anymore. It's like, I totally get that. Yeah, I can see how you're feeling that way. There's uh, forms of therapy, and I'm just going to name them off, the ones that I use, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really easy. Uh, it, it involves think, uh, changing your thinking patterns and your beliefs. So the easy way to remember uh, CBT is think, feel, do. So sometimes you have a thought, and then you have a feeling, and then you have a behavior. And Sometimes you have a feeling and then you have a thought and then you have a behavior, but there's always right in the middle here, right in here, there's the urge to do the behavior. So the more space you can get and put in between that behavior and the urge to do the behavior is, is better because then you can kind of think about a little bit 
more? Do I actually really want to do this? Do I want to be impulsive? Like impulsivity, there's just, there's no gap in there at all. It's just like, think, feel, I'm doing it right now. Uh, but if you practice, you can actually increase the space in there. And uh, then you can just have more room to decide. So that's CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Check out Aaron Beck and Beck's work for more information on that. Now, specifically in treatment for borderline personality disorder, there is a dialectical behavior therapy. And I wanna show you uh, one of the things uh, that, I mean, I've been trained to do dialectical behavior therapy. I certainly use it in my practice. I love it. There's like, you know, how they say there's an app for this. Well, in DBT, there's a skill for this. And um, so there's there's some, always something that you can can use. And so, uh, so I want to show you uh, what it's based on. It's based on the biopsychosocial theory that it's not just one thing that causes these people to to be personality disordered or to do what they're doing, but it has to do with a lot of different things. I love this diagram because it it just totally uh, explains it all. The biology or physiology. So biology meaning too the genetics that you get from your family and uh, your uh, biology and your brain, the chemistry of your brain. Uh, if you have chronic pain, uh, you know, physiology. So there's bio biology. There's psychology, so you know the feelings that we have and all of the thoughts and the incidents that 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 happen that that uh, influence our psychology, how we think, and then there's the environmental or social uh, factors that can all affect how we develop our personalities, how we develop the ways that we cope with things, and that's why in the middle it says symptom or dynamic risk factor. So this is what you do, right? And, and it's such a great model, I think, to use in trying to understand uh, personality disorders, if indeed, again, there, there is one with, with uh, Amber Heard uh, or two. Uh, I, I just think that that's, I've just never seen those two together before, not to disrespect um, Dr. Curry, but I just haven't. It's so good to get all this stuff off my chest. I'm so glad that I didn't go to a legal channel and do this because um, one, you know, they might just be rolling their eyes at me and say, oh, psychology is a soft science. And I do deal a lot with facts. Uh, I have people, DBT, actually dialectical behavior therapy, uh, has a skill for that, like checking the facts. Like if I start to jump to some conclusions, what are the actual facts, right? So and then there's acceptance and commitment therapy, which also puts in some values in there. So you start to look in terms of being being aware and being present. So if that's lacking, then then that can be increased. Uh, and then committed action, you know. So maybe I really want to do something, but I don't have a commitment to the action. Except. Acceptance and commitment therapy, I have not been thoroughly trained in, uh, but I, I would suggest the book, oh, it's at my office, The Happiness Trap, and I can put a link to it below. Really super readable, plus they have a website with a bunch of free resources on it. And then there's also energy healing. Some may believe in it, some may not, uh, but I like emotional freedom technique. And uh, I do hypnotherapy, which is, uh, they, those are two excellent ways to help a person who has tra trauma or uh, trauma responses. So 
All right. Well, that wraps it up for me. Uh, let me see if there's any more comments. Oh, my faithful rabid dog. I, I heard that dogs were faithful, but um, not rabid ones. But this one is. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Well said. It always stems from childhood. Yeah, we as parents, you know, the parents, brave parents, please set that intention not to abuse your child. Uh, and, and I'm not just saying don't don't hit them or spank them or whatever. I mean, I, what I'm saying that, you know, I from personal experience, I know that's done a lot of damage to me because I was spanked and whipped. And, you know, so uh, so, yeah, it, it's not good. Uh, but set, setting the intention not to emotionally abuse your kid either, belittle them, shame them, and or if you do, then make a repair. <laughs> Is it okay to damage our own property? That's part of it, Rabbit. That's part of it. Damaging property is um, is part of the rules of anger that you don't want to do. You don't want to damage your own property. I think you're. I think you're probably trying to be a little funny there. Um, you're like thinking, well, if I, I can't do the Scottish accent very well, uh, Rabbit. Uh, excuse me for that, but it's like, well, if I throw my own cell phone, is it okay? <laughs> that was awful Scottish accent. But anyway, yeah, no, don't damage your own property. Uh, that's not good. That is not good. Because, you know, it just ends up causing problems for you because you'll have to get another cell phone or you'll have to get your dry roll repaired or whatever it is that you're going to have to get a new door or something. So, but yeah, no, it's not okay to damage your own property. Sometimes it happens. Um Sometimes it happens we throw our cell phone. That's what I think. You throw the cell phone or the remote across the room or something like that. But hopefully you don't damage property and hurt the other person too uh, at the same time. So not too bad, just a little bit over an hour. Um, and uh, let's see, any closing thoughts? Thanks for hanging out with me, Rabid. Um, if you have any more thoughts, you can come up on the panel. I'll give it a couple more minutes. What can I blabber about? Oh, in the meantime. Well, I should have actually copied these up, but I didn't. But this is what a genogram looks like. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I tried to do this one time on the armchair detective show and it didn't work out to that great. But so it seems like a lot of tinker toys here. This is this is Johnny Depp's genogram that I can get. You know, I'm sure there's more details there. And we'll see if Rabid pops up. If he doesn't, that's good. That's okay. Johnny is going to be right here. Right here. 59 years old. He's only two years older than I am. Anyway. And on the back is going to be Amber's. And look, there's the little baby. Oop, there's the baby. And there's Amber right there. I might also add that um, and this is a fact that Amber was arrested for a domestic abuse of her female partner, Tasia, at one point in time. Not to say that she's doing that now, but uh, at one point in time, she was uh, arrested for it. And I don't know if charges were brought up against her or not, but there you have it. Anyway, so I did actually list uh, some some uh, 
some counseling, or not counseling, but some YouTube channels that I like that are both talking about the case and they're also just really good channels to go to for mental health. I just tips, tools, techniques. Uh, I love the crappy childhood fairy and therapy in a nutshell, Dr. Grande. I, I like uh, Patrick Chehan and the, uh, the psycho the Seattle psychologist guy. I forget his name, but it's all in the notes or, or it will be. I will make sure of that. All right. All right. Nothing major, just like bursting a painting in a dramatic art. Oh, yeah, diva kind of way. Yeah, good point, Rabbit. Like, so that's one of the things Johnny did. Oh, gosh, it just pains me to think about it because he did it uh, right after his finger disappeared, the tip of his finger disappeared, and like this chunk of finger was missing. And he had he dipped it in paint and started painting all this stuff on his. So, yes, right. I mean, that he was definitely uh, at that time breaking a rule of anger. <laughs> I like the way that you said that dramatic artiste diva kind of way. Yeah. And apparently I heard that she did too. Like she contributed to that work of diva art that was in their Australia bungalow or wherever they were. So, all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap this up now. Uh, everybody out there, take care. Make sure that you do not, um, that you obey the rules of lang language. Yeah, do that too. But the remember the rules of anger and, uh, and, and really uh, treat people kindly. Or at least give them a chance or, or give them a chance to tell them the context of some stuff, you know. I really wish I would have had a chance to talk to the person who scored my MMPI and just tell them. Um, the other thing that was uh, that was true. Let's see. This was two thousand. The other thing that was true uh, in two thousand and five was that I uh, had braces on my teeth, uh, and as a forty year old, um, that was really tough. It was tough for me to to have braces. Uh, that was one of the things that contributed to uh, my eating disorder coming back too. Um, so, thanks, Rabbit. Thank you. And I love your podcast too. You and Alice do such a great job. Can't wait to, to listen to that. And I can't catch every live, but, uh, but I do. And uh, I do catch some, I love chatting with you guys or commenting. So um, that is the human condition podcast and check out uh, rabbit dog as well on his channel. And very good. All right. It was great seeing you again. Thank you for all of you that uh, listened today and or on the repeat. And uh, I will be back with you. This is my first live stream in a while. It was kind of fun. And uh, I love spending time with you. So y'all take care and I'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. If the information in this podcast has been helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can also go to our podcast website at www.calmingthechaospodcast.com, where you can listen to all Calming the Chaos podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.